0: esoteric study group of Freemasons whose purpose is of sharing knowledge of mystery schools and debunking misconceptions about Freemasonry. You're here with Mike and Ron. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Any of the opinions expressed by Keepers of the Word are solely the opinions of Keepers of the Word. They do not reflect the opinions of other organizations or Masonic lodges.
0: Uh, Thanks for joining us today. Today we have our guest uh, Monique King-Veland with the LACDA. Thanks for joining us today, Monique. You're welcome. Um, why don't you give us a little information about yourself, your position, um, and the history? I, I understand LACDA is a, is kind of a newer organization combined with a couple of older organizations. Am I correct yeah, in saying yeah, that? Yeah, Okay. It.
2: You got it.
0: So why don't you give us some information what, about that? What
1: is LACDA?
2: So I am the executive director of the Los Angeles County Development Authority, and the Los Angeles County Development Authority, or the LACDA, is actually a newly formed entity that is the result of a merger of what was the Community Development Commission and the Housing Authority of the County of Los Angeles. We recently merged those two organizations by board action in April, and we officially became the LACDA in March, I'm sorry, May of this year. And the LACDA is essentially the county's affordable housing, housing development, community, and economic development entity. So we manage all of the affordable housing activity for the county. To give you an idea, for instance, we fund all of the um, supportive housing and affordable housing developments for the county. So this past year in 1819, for instance, we put capital funding into about 4,000 units of affordable housing countywide. We also operate as the second largest public... Public housing authority in Southern California. So we operate a large portfolio of public housing. We have about 3,000 units across 68 sites countywide, and we also operate um, and provide housing for about 100,000 individuals annually through a variety of different rental subsidy programs. And then in addition to that, we operate the largest urban county community development block grant program in the country. So we operate that program in unincorporated county, and we also operate it in 49 cities within the county as well. We provide everything from youth development services to building parks and um, community centers. And um, finally, we also operate economic development programs on behalf of the county. So for small businesses, we do facade renovation programs, and we provide grants for that in unincorporated county, and we also offer um, small business loans. So we provide up to $1.5 million of funding to lend to small businesses as well. So we're, we're pretty busy. Wow. Yeah, that's a whole lot.
1: Um, since today we're talking about homelessness mm-hmm. and we're, we're attacking that issue and the reason we're attacking that issue is because it's out of hand and it's not just out of hand here it's out of hand nationwide right. um, more so in the big cities like Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, San Francisco um, we've always had a, a homeless issue uh, but seeing how it's gone so bad now what do you think are those factors that are playing into that?
2: Oh, that's a tough I know a tough it's a long yeah, list, that's but... A, that's a tough question. I mean, there is a long list. So, I mean, I'm, for your viewers' um, perspective and for the folks who are listening, um, in Los Angeles County right now on any given night, there are 60,000 men, women, and children who are homeless on the streets. Um, that number, according to the recent point-in-time count, is up by 12% over where we were last year and it is staggering Um, and that number has increased even though we have probably undertaken over the last two years the largest and most Complex initiative to address um, homelessness. I would say nationwide here in LA County, and the voters also passed Measure H, which um, you may be familiar with, that provides the tax revenue that goes into helping and addressing the homelessness crisis. Um, The LACDA is a key player in the county's work around trying to end homelessness. It's part of our core mission and our core vision, Um, and we are part of what the county calls the homeless initiative, um, which is a. Of 51 different strategies that the county is working on countywide to try to address the homelessness issue. We are either a lead or a co lead on 27 of those strategies, and we are doing everything from employment for the homeless to providing rental vouchers to providing rapid rehousing subsidy, um, as well as providing a host of different supportive services. But what we're really looking at is sort of um, a coming of a decade's worth of disinvestment. We are looking at a situation where our housing costs have risen tremendously over the last year, but wage costs have almost been stagnant. Um, So if you look at the numbers in LA County alone, there are over 700,000 people who are what we call severely rent burdened. That means that those folks are spending more than 50% of their income on rent. So one third of people in LA County spend more than 50% of their incomes on rent. That is just not a sustainable amount of money to be spending on your rent. So you have something like that coupled with the fact that rental rates are going up significantly. We've had stagnant wage growth um, and in some ways decline. It's sort of like a quiet storm that's brewing, and it becomes an incredible challenge for us to tackle, although we are doing as much as we can. So when people saw the numbers go up, it's like, well, nothing's happening. But just in the last year in the homelessness ecosystem structures we housed in partnership with the los angeles homeless services authority and all of the different partners that are out there 133 people per day were housed in that ecosystem and work in the homeless structure 133 people per day but the sad part is 150 people per day fell into homelessness last year
0: so you're going negative
2: exactly So it's not that we're not doing anything, but what we're finding is that in California in particular, we have an affordable housing crisis that is really sort of confounding our efforts to address the issues around homelessness, and we also have an economic mobility crisis. So the New York Times released an article a couple of weeks ago that talked about the fact that the average American could not afford a $400 unexpected monthly expense. Just a $400 expense would mean that that family, that American, would have to choose between a medical bill or rent or prescription medications Mm. or food to pay that $400 expense. That's what we're dealing with while we're also trying to address all the complexities of why someone ends up on the street and homeless.
0: So of those 133 people that you are able to put into housing, That's been in the, within the last year that's that's happened
2: in the last year
0: last year. So prior to that, what what were the numbers prior to that?
2: I would say we weren't housing near that many people prior to that. I mean, what we have really had since the passing of Measure H, and since the county really invested in the Homeless Initiative Program, which was a year before the passage of Measure H, we never had this level of sort of a complex structure that is addressing homelessness. Not just the homeless service providers, but more importantly, we have the workforce development providers, we have the affordable housing providers, we have all of those folks to the table trying to address this issue in a really sort of multifaceted way, which is critically important. So that's why it's so sad, because in last year's homeless count, we saw for the first time in years a decrease in the number of homeless on the street wow. by 4%. So to see that decrease and then to see the increase is, is sort of really confounding for those of us who have really been engaged in what is truly the fight of our lives. And trying to address the issue.
1: So, seeing that, seeing that all this, we have all this displacement, gentrification, um, rent just going ridiculously mm-hmm. high. Do you feel that if we get a hold of that issue or those problems? we'll be able to tackle these homeless issues a little bit better?
2: I do. I think we have to really take, I always say, and I think my, my team and my staff always laughs at me, I'm always talking about multiple tools in the toolbox. But the fact is, um, a lot of the issues that folks are facing who are on the street are really multifaceted and complex. And so you do really need Multiple tools in the toolbox. So, we need to be developing more affordable housing than we ever have. We have a deficit of over 500,000 units of affordable housing that we need in Los Angeles County. That number has actually come down over the last couple of years because we've made such a concerted effort in partnership with many other cities throughout the county to do more development. But we have to develop more housing. But in addition to that, we also have to get more landlords to work with us to accept rental housing subsidies like Section 8, like VASH, which works for veterans, because that's critically important because we can't build our way out of the crisis fast enough. So we need that as well. But then what we also need is source of income protection. So landlords can't reject a tenant because they have a voucher. What we also need are rental protections of some sort so that people aren't pushed out of their house because their rent went up 50%. From one year to the next. So the county of Los Angeles right now has a countywide, at least an unincorporated county, a rent stabilization ordinance, for example, that caps the rental increases to 3%, um, with the exception of extraordinary circumstances. And many cities have actually in themselves adopted rent stabilization ordinances as well. There is some current um, legislation right now at the state level that's trying to move around statewide rent stabilization, and there's also um, legislation around source of income protection. So right now, it is, it is perfectly legal, with the exception now of within Los Angeles County in unincorporated areas, for a landlord to deny a tenant solely based on the fact that they have a rental subsidy. Oh, no other issue. So maybe they, they just have. So can you imagine a veteran who has come back from serving this country, has a VASH voucher, tries to go get an apartment, and a landlord can decide not to rent to that veteran because he has a rental subsidy.
0: And he's within the law to exactly. be able to do that. It's unfortunate. So
2: one of the things that the county has done is we have a sort. We now have at least countywide and unincorporated county a source of income discrimination ordinance, um, and there's legislation pending for that at the state level as well. But we need all of that. I mean, we essentially are at crisis level proportions. And so we need to be using all of the different tools to ensure that we're addressing the issue from multiple fronts.
1: And I also think, you know, we really need to pay attention to what's happening in these encampments, because, you know, we're hearing that the Black Plague, black plague came back, um, uh, typhoids coming back, these these diseases that were gone, are now coming back because, you know, people are living this way It's a
0: health crisis. and it's a
1: health crisis, not only for them, but for us as mm-hmm. well, because we're, you know, we, we're right around the corner. Um, uh, how do you see that being tackled? And I know that's, that's a, a hard question to, to take on, but from my perspective is, you know, there's people that want help. There's people that that don't want the help. And there's people that are, are mentally ill that, you know, they just shouldn't they can't make decisions for themselves. How do you factor all those different areas in play?
2: Hmm. Ah, well, that's a, that's a large question. To <laughs> um, you know, I, I like to believe that everyone wants help. Um, although I do think you need to meet people where they are. Um, And I think one of the things that we're learning, particularly from the folks who are engaged in the street outreach work, who are out there talking to folks on a daily basis, is that sometimes it may take you... Five, ten, or 20 interactions with the person before they're really willing to open up and have a discussion with you about what they need. That could be related to trust. That could be related to other issues, but you really have to spend time building work. You know, one of the things we've done as part of the County's Homeless Initiative is increase the number of street outreach teams that are working throughout the county. We built resources for people to be able to use even electronic resources like on your phone. You can download the Hop app, and you can go in and at least Tell us where you've seen a homeless person, describe them, and someone can go out. And it helps us sort of narrow our focus and be able to maximize and leverage resources to go out and try to address that specific person's needs. There's a lot of conversation right now happening, too, with the county's Department of Public Health um, to sort of understand what we can be doing in encampments to create spaces where people are safe. Um, and we're also trying to mitigate the risk of disease and other things. So we're doing that work as well. Um, that's really sort of a, more of a public health question um, than what I'm qualified to discuss, but I do know that that work is happening. We're providing mobile showers. You know, we're, I know the city is working on things in the city of LA, for instance, where they're going out, and with people who are living in RVs, they're trying to provide um, ways to go out and deal with waste management in the RVs. So, I mean, we are really trying A lot of different things to make sure that we're addressing a multitude of issues. But what I think people really need to understand is that we didn't build this crisis overnight. I mean, this is a crisis that has really been brewing for decades. You're talking about decades worth of disinvestment um, and really decades worth in some cases of just closing our eyes. And you know now we're dealing with an issue where we're trying full on to address it, but we're not going to fix it overnight. Right. Um, I think frankly, if you look at that delta between the hundred and thirty three and one hundred and fifty, you know that sort of seventeen in the middle there, that actually is still progress. If we hadn't housed one hundred and thirty three per pe- per people per day, look at where we would have been
0: right you know
2: so what we really need to do is double down on our efforts um and it's what we're doing we're figuring out what works we're figuring out what didn't work and we're trying to make sure that what works we're expanding and we're also trying to address new issues and get out there and do what we can
0: Hmm. you're absolutely right when it comes to the fact that we would be a lot worse off if those 133 people weren't um, I had the opportunity to travel to Europe this year. And when we got into Paris, I was amazed. I, I thought L.A. had a homeless problem. When I got into Paris, driving through, you know, from the airport to where our Airbnb in Paris was, the encampments that were under every single freeway underpass, and it was like cities everywhere and clearly this is a problem that not only the big cities in the United States has, but big cities throughout the world has. So I mean we could definitely be in a in a far worse situation than we are with this. And I and I know people want to turn it into a political issue sometimes and mm. and you know blame Garcetti or blame whoever for the problems. But the fact of the matter is that obviously, you know, it is a massive problem and Trying to figure out how to deal with it, yeah, and I agree
1: with you. Um, This this is something that has been boiling over and over and over. You can't blame it on Garcetti. I'm sorry, but but he didn't. He inherited a problem, and uh, during his inheritance, it just got out of hand further. Um, I think he's got a lot on his plate, uh, especially you know everybody's addressing him for this issue. Uh, I don't think he's solely responsible for the whole thing, but I think it's like what you said right now. We got to double down. He needs to be on that because because if, if you don't, then those numbers, you know, the variables, they could either grow or lessen. Mm-hmm. But in your effort, it's kind it's kind of like you're spinning your wheels. You're getting someplace, but there's still something working against you. Um, the The constraints and, and the bottlenecks need to be addressed. And I feel like you guys you guys have a lot going on. I didn't know that you guys were doing those men, that many, I mean, you don't hear, you don't hear about it in the news, yeah. right? Now, of course, media is not going to cover this. Right. They just want to cover, oh, well, we have a homeless crisis. Yeah. We're not talking about the solution. And I think that's the thing that, you know, I'm glad we have you on the show. we're talking about an actual solution to the problem. The thing is, it's, it's too out of hand right now. And how do we all come in as a collective and help fix this problem? Um, I don't know if you know this, but you know, um, Mason's founded the midnight mission downtown Mm -hmm. that's been helping uh, since before I was a Mason, I knew that I knew that, you know, these guys were helping people out and I worked on third and Broadway when that area was Mm -hmm. skid row Mm -hmm. and now it's not, now it's gentrified and they move, they move them aside and they pushed them to another area because they wanted to sell lofts there. Mm -hmm. And to me, I was like, man, well, these guys are doing something good. They're helping people. People could go in there, families could go in there and get help. Um, but I even think they're they're really overwhelmed now because mm. of the situation do we need more midnight missions do we need uh more more um, community service do i mean d- does the public get involved what do you think could be the collective that can help you get past you, the, the bottlenecks that you're having right
2: now I think we need yes, 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 I mean, mean, we need need all of it. You know, I will say, and I would love for you guys to have someone on from the city of LA. The city of LA made some significant commitments to having shelters, for instance, in each of the different city council districts. They've sort of led that argument. They have actually been a tremendous partner with the county. Um, You know, I'm a transplant to the area, but I've been told that the work that is happening right now on a regional level around L.A. County, but also just the amount of collaboration and cooperation between the city of L.A. and the county of L.A. is tremendous. Um, And I would say we're sort of the two big juggernauts, so it's really important for us to be working together. But I should say we're working with Pasadena, and we're working with Long Beach, I mean, we're working with a lot of cities. Um, I think what people don't often see is that there is more regionalized work happening today than it's my understanding there ever has been on both the homelessness side and the affordable housing side. To give you an example, one of the programs that we have as part of the um, homeless initiative that we actually do get Measure H funding for is something called the Homeless Incentive Program. So, again, I mentioned we have all these people with vouchers, but we have a rental market that has a less than 3% vacancy rate in L.A. County. So for the average person, for for you, for me, it's tough to find a unit when you're renting. For a voucher holder where landlords may have preconceived notions about Section 8 or about homeless vets, that's even worse and further compounded. So part of the strategy under what we call our B4 strategy under the program is to provide incentives to landlords to get them to take a Section Eight a voucher holder or a VASH voucher holder. So we'll provide that landlord with the carrying cost. We will pay for a month for them to hold that unit open and vacant, so they're whole, but it's being held so that we can refer voucher holders, um, which for us, those are all formerly homeless clients. So we're referring those clients to them to see if they there's a match, and we can get that person housed. We'll provide the security deposit to get that person into the unit. We'll provide damage mitigation. One of the big mythologies around Section 8 tenants is that they're gonna do a ton of damage right. to your apartments, or a homeless tenant all also must have a mental illness, so they're gonna do a ton of damage to we'll your apartments. So or... we have damage mitigation fund that will provide them. So so they feel secure in renting. Through that program, we've increased by significant numbers the amount of um, landlords who are participating in our Section 8 VASH and Continuum of Care programs. But what's great about that program is we started that program in Los Angeles County. Now that same program is mirrored in the city of LA. That program is now mirrored in Long Beach that program is now mirrored in Burbank so we have eight other housing authorities that are participating with us in that same program so no matter where the person comes from throughout those different cities and jurisdictions they have access to this program that's being funded out of measure h dollars but is now done regionally we meet with those housing authorities and we've streamlined our application processes so it looks the same it's clear for tenants it's clear for landlords who might have a <coughs> apartment in unincorporated county but might have an apartment in the city of and might have one in Long Beach and doesn't want to deal with a lot of paperwork that all looks different. We've tried to streamline and remove the burdens to get them involved in that program. That program has been significant and we have housed thousands of individuals and that's really important for people to know. And that's a program that really shows our ability to get cooperative together and also to remove barriers. So there's a lot of work like that that is happening as well. But I think from the public's perspective, we need more. We need advocates. So number one, we need people who carry real information about what's actually happening. Data, real data. Real data, not just what you hear, not maybe what the newspaper may have said or not, or what your friend told you down the street. I really need you to understand what's really happening. We are working overtime to get a handle on the issue, but it's going to take time, and it's not going to be cured overnight. And we all need to sort of accept that and move past that. This is not a blue-red issue. This is a humanitarian crisis. And we need to make sure that that's what we're talking about and that's how it's framed. The County of Los Angeles and the City of LA have a great degree of investment at the local levels in this fight. We're leveraging all of our resources, by the way, that we get in from the feds as well. But we need additional rental subsidy. from the federal government, and we need additional resources from the state government as well. And then we also need folks to advocate for some of those additional things, like rent stabilization, like affordable housing, and then we need advocates in the community. So we can't be talking about adding more shelters and also saying, well, add it, But not 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 near me. Not in my backyard. (laughs) You know, at it, but not in my backyard. We need what I call yimbies, not nimbies. Like, we need people who are saying, yes, we need to address the problem as well. So if the public can do anything, the public can advocate and bring their voice to the fight and amplify knowledge about what's really going on out here and what we're really addressing. So we get rid of the mythology and we focus on how we all move forward to really get a handle on what is truly a humanitarian crisis. And not just in the county of Los Angeles, but around the country and, frankly, around the world.
1: Now, as far as data is concerned, do you have any data regarding the amount of homeless population, male, female, families, um, Who, how many of them are mentally ill, drug addicts, or just people who are displaced?
2: Yeah, we hear a lot. A lot of the mythology, again, is around the fact that people tend to see They think everything is chronically homeless, and they think that most homeless people have a mental illness. One of the things that the recent point-in-time count said that is only a third of the homeless population, one-third. Now, that's still significant numbers, but only one-third of the homeless population actually has a mental illness, suffers from substance use disorder, or any of those things. What you're really talking about and what people are most reporting right now that led them to the streets are economic hardship and other issues that led to economic hardship, health issues, a chronic illness, an undiagnosed disease, something like that. So I do think it's really important that we change the mythology around that conversation. The large part of the homeless population is not mentally ill, and the large part of the homeless population does not have substance use disorder. That's just not what the data shows, and the data hasn't shown that for quite some time. Hmm. And then, if any of your viewers are interested, the Los Angeles um, Homeless Services Authority, which is both the county and the city's homeless services authority, it's lahsa.org, has all of the data from the point in time count on their website, readily available. You can look at it by um, SPA, which is their service planning area, you can look at it by your city. Um, You can break it down by the city of L.A., for instance, versus the county. Um, It's all based on your continuum of care, which is sort of your service area. So for us, um, for instance, that includes the city of L.A. and the county of L.A., but you may get like a Pasadena, for instance, that has their own continuum of care. But you can get all that data, and you can look at it and see it by demographic. One of the other things that is sort of a staggering and sobering statistic is that even though African Americans, for instance, are only 9% of the population, in Los Angeles County, African Americans account for 40% nearly of the homeless population wow. in Los Angeles County. That's so high. that's a staggering statistic as well that we're working to understand. And we, I participated myself in a group that was created from LASA called the Ad Hoc Committee on Black People Experiencing Homelessness to do a deep dive and research over um, six months to look at what's driving those numbers um, and then make some recommendations. So our committee reported out a report where we made some recommendations on how you address some of those issues with which really stem a lot from sort of systematic racism policies like redlining and how you begin to address those now. But those are some of the things that you'll get in that data that I think is very helpful for people to take a look at.
1: Well, I think uh, this is going to be a long road. It is. It's not going to be something that we're, okay, we found the solution. All right, we, we have eight months and we'll be fixed. I, I think this is going to be years, years. Years to fix, but I'm glad to hear these these things happening. I'm happy that you have we have so many things in play to kind of offset what's going on out there. Um, you know, one example, I have some friends that work for Caltrans, and they mm-hmm. go and they clean up. and Some of them were cleaning up uh, homeless encampments, right? And they would go knock down a whole city of homeless encampments, and then within two three days, they're back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's kind of it's kind of sad because we're we're talking. I mean, the reason they got called out there is because people were saying there's an eyesore. There's people living in a place where they shouldn't be living. OK, well, you send the CHP to get them out and these guys have to go in and remove all of their stuff, uh, stuff that that's theirs, you mm-hmm. know. And and now, you know, unfortunately, they, they they're gone They and they don't have anywhere else to go. So guess what? They're going to come back about two, three days later and set back up. Now, you know, I could understand the fr- frustration with that. I mean, with the people who actually made the phone call, we're like, mm-hmm. okay, well, now they're back. And, and you know, now they got to wait X amount of time for somebody to go do it again. But we're not fixing the problem. You know, that's not the fix. I mean, the, uh, what you're talking about is, is the fix, you know, yeah. getting people in housing and taking care of the issues at hand. And I think the one of the major issues is the rent. The the rent is out of hand. <laughs> and how did it get that way? At what point did the value of property appreciate so much that it's, hey, well, we got to raise the rent, you know, myself, within the last three years, my rent went up $450. Yeah. See? That's ridiculous, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it, I'm not going to say that didn't hurt. It does. I mean, you know, you, you have to kind of massage things and, and make it work, but... $450 in three years? That's ridiculous. When, and, and I'm pretty when sure... When
0: your income hasn't... My increased. income has not exactly.
1: increased, you know? And, you know, I, I do a lot of work for myself. But at the same time, it's like, hey, you know, you have something working against you. And I want to know why. Because, the, you know, it's not like the property around me has changed. You know, what's making it so valuable? I mean, I don't I don't understand the econ- economics back. And maybe I'm ignorant to that. But the reality is... is it's not me is I'm not the only one experienced this no you're you know not. it's going on throughout the whole nation and you know I feel like this whole trickle-down effect of, of you know hey let's the rich people don't have to pay for anything uh, well hey dude like it's not helping us you know people who are blue-collar people who work for you know a living and don't have a billion dollars in the bank yeah. so uh, I think it starts there I think that's if we could solve that issue, and get things back to the way they were maybe six, seven years ago where, you know, you weren't paying out a, a crazy, ridiculous amount of rent, then, you know, it would also probably help you in your in your efforts to, you know, fix a couple things faster.
2: Yeah. yeah, because what you're doing is you're stopping inflow. I mean, that's what we're really talking about. So that 150 people per day, that's inflow. So and those people are facing issues like their rent being raised, $450, over a three-year period, I've heard people saying their rent being raised hundreds of dollars in a one-year period. I mean, it is it is staggering. Um, and I told you, you know, one third of folks in the county are paying more than fifty percent of their income on rent. That is just not sustainable. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and so, the the nature of getting a handle on how we can cap um, just sort of rampant rent increases um, and the rise in affordable housing costs is a critical component. And, you know, and that's a touchy subject, you know, people and I, I you know, I, we've had a lot of dialogues with landlords, we've held events for landlords, I would say probably dozens of events across the county in all five supervisory districts over the last couple of years to try to engage landlords again in helping them participate in becoming landlords to some of our voucher holders. And what you hear is that the other costs of things are rising and so they're rising rents, I think there's probably room somewhere in the middle. I think that the cost of things are rising. The cost of construction are rising. So if you have an issue and you need to do maintenance to your building, it is absolutely going to cost you more today than it it would have cost you five years ago. Um, But at the same time, raising someone's rent 40% or 50% over a two or worse one year period. 10% a year as well. So there has to sort of be a balance. And I think that what we need to understand is that a significant portion of our homelessness crisis in the county is an affordable housing crisis. And it's a problem, and we will continue to develop as fast as we can. But even with new technologies, which we're exploring, and tiny homes, and modular, and all of these things, the fact is, it's still going to take us a long time to curb that 500,000 unit deficit. So we're going to need to figure out what we can do with our existing housing stock, and people cannot afford rental increases at 10 and 20%. They just can't, as you just articulated. So how do we make sure that land Have what they need. I mean, I will say the county's temporary rent stabilization ordinance, which is set to expire in December, allows for a fair rate of return. It allows for landlords to petition if there are certain reasons why they need to raise that rent above that 3%. But it at least creates some bit of a ceiling for the average renter, you know, notwithstanding extraordinary circumstances, to not be pushed out. I mean, if you, know, if you have inflation and different things going at one rate and your wages are growing at half of that, we, we have a brewing issue that even if we can get a handle on providing the necessary supportive services and other things to house our homeless populations, we're going to continue to see inflow because people can't afford to live here right. working people can't afford yeah, to live here. It's Let alone people that
0: don't have jobs exactly. and <laughs> want to try to reintegrate themselves. So are, are you seeing, because it, it certainly seems like, you know, you're, like you mentioning, Mike, that within the last seven years, it seems like this problem has like really, really kind of blown up. And if I think about it, it certainly seems that the gentrification of most neighborhoods, especially stuff downtown and in and, and, Areas where it's you know like downtown San Pedro, or where it's it's more poorer neighborhoods or whatever. It seems like the gentrification projects where they're trying to push out those lower income type of people has been happening within the last seven years. Um, are you seeing? Are you seeing low income um, housing being? You know, are you seeing alternatives to that gentrification, where they used to have affordable housing for people, where it's not affordable housing anymore? Is there alternative? Are people starting to build affordable housing again, or is it just a matter of trying to work with current landlords?
2: No, no, I mean, I think we are seeing um, significant increases, um, mostly because of the county of Los Angeles, the city of Los Angeles, and other cities making active investments um, to encourage developers to build more and more affordable housing. And I should say, we always had developers who were building affordable housing, but those developers need resources because, essentially, their cost of building is the same as a market rate developer who's building it, but they're trying to build something that's affordable, which means the rents are just naturally going to be less. Um, so, But they still have to pay the same amount as a market rate developer, so you know, the public sector is looked to to fill that gap between what it actually costs to build and what we want them to be able to rent it out to someone for. So we've put a lot more money into those developments. and so I think that's why you're seeing, as I said, you know 4, we funded about 4,000 units, a little over 4,000 units in 18,19. Just to give you perspective, that's five times the amount of units that we funded in 2014. So, I mean, we are in a very different place, and that's because the county of Los Angeles has made a very concerted commitment to adding dollars for affordable housing in its annual budget every year now into perpetuity. So that's... Extraordinary. It was a um, original motion that came in, I think, 2015, and started with 20 million a year to build up another 20 million every year until it got to 100 million, and then it's now it will be 100 million annually. So we're at our 80 million mark, um, I think, in terms of development. We've also had departments like the Department of Mental Health that made a significant investment in our ability to build housing, supportive housing, and permanent supportive housing for folks with mental illness. So we've received a little over 110 million, um, I think from the Department of Mental Health to do that over the last 10 years, we put that money out on the street. Um, And then the state has passed something called No Place Like Home, which is a bond measure that allows us, and the county is slated to get about $700 million of that over the next, let's say, five to seven years, which builds housing specifically, again, for chronically homeless folks suffering a mental illness. So we have a variety of money going into actual affordable housing development um, and the development of permanent supportive housing for folks who need the wraparound and support of services, so that's really important, and we are doing that. But I think what we also have is to get a handle as well on just the rental market. Um, I do think there are issues with displacement, um, and I, I will say I think there's a strong balance for a community between doing community revitalization, which in some ways means you want to increase the values of your property, and also creating an un, unintended displacement of residents who are currently there, and that's something I think that every jurisdiction struggles with. I struggle with that in the jurisdiction I came from in New Jersey in terms of the investments we were making, and I still find it's a, a struggle here particularly because of the high cost of land values here in California the board of supervisors um, as part of a recent motion that they approved several months ago actually approved um, a motion around affirmatively furthering fair housing to make sure that we were looking at um, displacement so for instance where we will be engaging in an anti-displacement study to look at how gentrification and displacement is impacting affordable housing in the county Um, we're in the process of doing that work now because they recognize that sort of very delicate balance between wanting to encourage investment in communities, particularly disenfranchised communities, but also wanting to make sure that we're not pushing people out or having unintended consequences. But that's a really tough balance to find, um, and it's not an easy thing to do, but that is one of the things that we're looking at as well.
0: Excellent.
1: Well, I, I feel, you know... I don't want to, I want to keep on repeating myself, but you guys, your organization has answers. In a perfect world, how do we amplify those answers? In a If you, if you were to have it your way, what would you say, okay, we could fix this with A, B, and C, what would that be?
2: I need more money. More money. <laughs> I mean, we, we need more money. I mean, given sort of the cost of housing, particularly in high-cost areas like Los Angeles and um, Los Angeles County, we need more money. Um, I, you know, I think that funding should come from the federal government in some sub- substantial form, um, as well as the investments that the state is already making and the county has already made. Um, I need less regulation. Um, One of the things that we have asked um, over my last um, two years in this role, we've gone out to D.C. in May to do some advocacy with the Department of Housing and Urban Development and also with our congressional delegation, and one of the things that we've talked about is removing barriers. So in our county, our largest um, housing subsidy resource permanent is Section 8, or the Housing Choice Voucher Program. Um, But but that program is really different than a program like VASH, which is the program for homeless veterans. VASH is designed um, to be something called a Housing Choice Model. Mm -hmm. It means that it's trying to move, um, Housing First Model, I'm sorry. So it's trying to move all the barriers out of the way and just get that vet housed, as fast as possible. And it sort of recognizes that you need to be flexible to do that because you need to be able to get in there, get that vet house, and get them on their way. Um, The Section 8 program is not that program. We're, We're using it that way in the county because we have to but there are a lot of regulations there is a lot of paperwork that I need to collect before I can issue a voucher so we've been really talking to HUD about trying to remove and streamline as many of those regulations as possible to make sure that we can house as many people as possible as quickly as possible so I would ask the public to be having that conversation with their congressional representatives and making sure that they know that like on cities like Los Angeles and in Los Angeles County where we are using our resources to fight this fight, we want to make sure that they have as flexible a process so they can get it done. Um, I think that that is something that is also critically important. And then I think we need people to help be stewards and champions to tell our story about what's really happening on the ground and about all the work that's happening because that not only helps us do our job and it helps keep people who are doing some really difficult work engaged um, and helps keep their morale up yeah. because the public knows that they're doing this work and values them for doing this work as well.
0: well I have a couple of questions. Yeah. Um, first question would be, um, so how can the average person in the community – help out with this? How can they get involved? Um, You did mention already, you know, speaking with your congressman Mm -hmm. and and asking them for that additional help. What can they personally do if they want to be able to be part of the solution for the the homeless problem?
2: I mean, there are a host of homeless service providers, nonprofit groups that would welcome uh, volunteers and that would welcome donations to help them continue to do their work. Frankly, public donations are far more flexible than the money they're going to get from us or the county or someone else. Um, So I think that's helpful. Um, Every year when we do the point-in-time count, LASA is always looking for people to help with the count. I mean, if we could get more volunteers and people engaged in that work, I think that that is something that could be very helpful and something that the public could do as well. Um, And then I think people need to do what they can do. You know, my family, we pack every couple of months. We go to Costco and we buy bags of materials, socks, deodorant uh, for women, feminine napkins, and we pack them into Ziploc bags and we put them in our car and we give them out any chance we get when we see people who might need them. you know. So it's everything from sort of that small, random act of kindness to advocating to your federal level and everything in between.
1: Are there any websites that people can visit to get further information or take action?
2: Absolutely. So the Homeless Initiative has a website. I think it is actually um, on lacounty.gov, homelessinitiative.org, that the folks um, can take a look at that will also talk to you about all the different things that the county is doing related to the Homeless Initiative. It has a list, by the way, of anyone who may be looking for employment and wants to engage in the fight that way and is interested in working for a service provider. It has a list of all the different jobs that are available across all the different homeless service providers, um, developers, et cetera. And then I would also go to, again, LASA's website as well to find out additional information. They have a whole section on how you can get engaged as an individual as well. And you can sign up to participate in the point in time count there. Awesome.
0: The other question I have is, um, as someone who is homeless, um, what, what steps would you suggest for them to be able to um, decide that they don't want to be there anymore and they want to get off the street? How can they begin that process of getting involved with these organizations
2: well hopefully there are street outreach workers that are coming in contact with folks building relationships that they can go to because your entry port is really going to be different depending on where you are in the county and what service planning area or spa that you're in but if you really want to make the shift and you don't know where to go go to Lhasa go downtown and go to Lhasa um, because at least that gives you a starting point on where to go, and they can connect you with the right resources. You can also call into LASA or call into the, they call the 2, I think it's the 211 or 213 line, um, and they will also then tell you where you are, where is the nearest resource or service provider in your area as well. Um, but if you all else fails, just go to LASA, and they'll send you to the right place. Awesome.
1: Well, this is this was very informative, and thank you, thank you yeah. very much for coming on the show, sharing your knowledge. Uh, I, I learned a lot, I, and I think our viewers will probably look at this from a different perspective now, seeing what is really happening, the stuff that yeah. they're not telling you in the media, yeah. not just um, the, uh, not just the, hey, we have a homeless problem, drug and addicts, that's it. And, drug addicts crazy. and crazies, yeah. and yeah. you know, there's there's more going on. So um, thank you very much. I greatly appreciate you. Um, This is where we're going to wrap it up. Uh, I want to thank our guests for for coming. Um, Is there anything else that you wanted to say before we wrap up?
2: I would say that just remember, again, we will not fix the crisis overnight, but know that we are actively engaged in a fight, um, and we're trying to do our best to make sure that people come home.
1: Thank you. So this is where we wrap up. Um, I want to tell everybody, thank you for viewing. Thank you for please share, like, follow, um, share this episode so that way we could get the information out there. Absolutely. Especially for those folks that need the help um, and, and, you know, move, move forward with that. On another note, um, if you haven't gotten your Esotericon tickets, make sure you get them. They're $12 right now. They're going to be fifteen at the door. If you want to pay fifteen at the door, yep. that's on you. All right. So got a couple um, of weeks left. Yeah. Well, actually, we only have one week left. A week. And vendors, if you want to get your space, that's this Friday. Tomorrow, it's it's over.
0: Tomorrow's the cutoff.
1: Yeah. So you could go to keepersoftheword.net and purchase your tickets. And if you're a vendor, you could purchase your space. Um, we have about twenty-two vendors here. We have uh, music, music, musicians, we have lecturers. We have uh, a lot going on between 11 and 7. We hope to see you here. Please come by, especially if you're a Mason. We'd love to have you here. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for joining us. Join us.
0: Join us. Join us. <laughs>